One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's November 13th, 1841, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. It took decades for what we now know as hypnosis to become scientifically recognised, a journey that is arguably still unfolding somewhat. But today in history was a significant one for mesmerism, as it was then called, because it was on this day in 1841 that James Braid, a surgeon from Scotland and crucially a sceptic, saw mesmerism firsthand at the Manchester Athenaeum and from that day became perhaps its most evangelical propagandist. Yeah, and according to his own account, the first time he went to see mesmerism as performed by Charles Lafontaine, who was a Swiss mesmerist, he was not completely convinced. He still walked away thinking that basically this is just a charismatic charlatan working on impressionable dupes and making them, you know, go into trances spontaneously. It's all it's all a load of nonsense. Not helped by the fact that Lafontaine didn't exactly have the most professional demeanour. He had started off his tour by mesmerising a lion at London Zoo. So, you know, <laughs> Braid walked away thinking, OK, this is kind of a circus act. However, he w- went back twice in one week. And by the third time, he was utterly convinced that mesmerism was a real phenomenon and somehow i have no idea how this happened within like another week he was delivering a lecture on mesmerism at the manchester athenaeum i was like they really needed to work on their bookings like a lot further in advance (laughs) well the person that he had gone to see charles lafontaine came from a showbiz background and he is related to the renowned fabulist jean de la fontaine whose family is also (laughs) noted to be theatrical in his biographies back in the 17th century Century. He comes from a family of liars. Yeah, it's just, well, it's just, it's lovies <laughs> all the way back, basically. But one of the most notable things about him, apparently, was his beard. He had this really prodigious and protruding black beard that he used alongside his piercing gaze to engage his subjects in ways that were deeply theatrical. You know, he'd make people, quotes, impervious to pain, uh, and then he'd dramatically demonstrate how this worked by shocking them with a live battery or by burning them with candles. Yeah, making them breathe ammonia. Right. uh, Lacing them with pins. I mean, actually, his own account of of this day in history is pretty amazing. Uh, Quote, I put to sleep a number of persons who were well-known residents of Manchester. I caused deaf mutes to hear, operated a number of different brilliant cures, and then retired to Birmingham. (laughs) Well... Braid didn't fully buy into all of Lafontaine's tricks. So this is the thing is that Braid was a medical man. He was a renowned surgeon. I mean, he was born to practice medicine in the 19th century because his specialisms included treating knock knees, bandy legs and squint. (laughs) (laughs) So what Braid fundamentally ended up leaving convinced by was the idea that there was this phenomenon that people would go into a deep trance and that this could be used to alleviate pain or to treat nervous conditions, as they were called at the time. What he didn't buy into was a lot of the flamboyant showmanship that went around the concept of mesmerism in in those days. There was this idea that people who had been mesmerised could gain the power of clairvoyance. You know, you could show them a sealed envelope and they'd be able to tell you what was inside, etc. And Braid walked away being like, okay, well, that's obviously not real. But he was convinced that there was a real physical effect going on. And this is the thing, that Braid was very much a person of science and 
animal magnetism. Well, this was this healing system. It needed system. a rebrand. Yeah, it did, actually. <laughs> so it was devised by a chap called Franz Mesmer. And Did you have any idea that the word mesmerised and mesmerised no came from the person's no. name? But the idea of animal magnetism was this belief in the existence of a universal magnetic fluid that's central in the restoration and maintenance of health. The way that it was being practised by the various people who had these travelling stage shows made it appear as if that their touch or their gaze was moving around some of this invisible natural force. And that was never going to appeal to Braid, who, even though he could see that something was going on, he wanted to track down what exactly it was. And I think through his experimentation, he ultimately settled on the idea that there's a combination of a psychological effect that's triggered by a physiological uh, set of behaviours on behalf of the person practising what became known as hypnotherapy. Yeah, became known as hypnotherapy because Braid invented it. And he took the hypnos bit from the Greek word for sleep because to the best of his ability at the time, that's what he thought was happening. Mm. He thought people were in some kind of state of sleep. He then later in his career actually said, to be honest, hypnotherapy isn't much like putting people to sleep. It's a different state. But by that time, he'd done such a good job of convincing everyone that it needed proper medical attention that it was kind of set in stone. But at least it was closer to something scientific sounding than animal magnetism or mesmerism, which had this kind of stage show origins as we've described and remains part of the problem i think for people taking medical hypnotherapy seriously is that stage hypnosis has it still exists Mm. side by side with hypnotherapy which accesses people's subconscious as a complementary medicine and lay people who have never experienced either often get them confused and worry that you know a hypnotherapist is going to get them to bark like a dog or something Mm. (laughs) Well, later in life, Braid tried to rebrand hypnosis as monoideism, based on the idea that it meant fixating on one idea or, you know, drifting into a trance based off that because you weren't being put to sleep. But by this point, yeah, it was too late in the day. The hypnosis had already taken hold. But the reason that he wanted to rebrand mesmerism or animal magnetism, apart from the fact that, as you say, Ollie had become associated with a kind of circus act, is that he didn't believe in the magnetic fluid idea that Franz Mesmer had proposed in the 18th century. You know, the way that Mesmer described it was almost like almost like the concept of chi, that all living things had this mm. this sort of untraceable magnetic fluid running through their bodies and that you could harness it to cure illnesses that were caused by blockages, kind of like feng shui, but for your body. But the reason that it had become so discredited was that as science was evolving, you know, we're sort of in the age of enlightenment here, Louis XIV ordered an investigation into the practice of mesmerism. So this panel of experts was convened and they included Joseph Ignace Guillotin, who invented the... He didn't... He actually popular misconception, didn't invent the guillotine, but he promoted it as a humane alternative to other execution methods. And (laughs) Geesh, feel bad for the people that have to work for Philip Morris these days. (laughs) (laughs) And Benjamin Franklin was on the panel as well. And actually, their verdict on mesmerism is considered the first ever articulation of the concept of the placebo effect, because the commissioners concluded that mesmerism was only effective on people who are aware of it. So this investigation really took the wind out of mesmer's sails, although he did continue to practice and the whole concept of mesmerism was sort of derided in the press and by academics yeah. as being, you know, something that weak-minded, hysterical people were susceptible to that, that wasn't based in any real science. Whereas it's still the case that hypnotherapy only really works if the client is willing to see it as a realistic therapy anyway. Mm. You know, that doesn't have to be as simple as placebo, therefore nothing's happening. But placebo in the sense that if you're not a willing participant, all the hypnotherapist is doing is talking to you 
It's only therapy with, you know, the added extra technique of putting you into a, a state where you can access your subconscious. You still have to be willing. So if you're sitting there resisting it the whole way through, then of course it's not going to work. And it, again, it's these sort of blurred lines between what people did on stage and what people could do in this very burgeoning field of psychology at the end of the 19th century that I think is still unhelpful. And the thing is, even the stage hypnotists, I think, aren't necessarily aware themselves of what they're doing. No. You know, they don't know how they're doing it. They just know they can do it. And they hadn't thought through the implications of saying, you know, when when I click my fingers, you're going to think your ass is on fire. Mm. Yeah, that might be funny for everyone watching. But it's literally the reverse of beneficial <laughs> hypnotherapy, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's going into your subconscious to tell you something really damaging. They don't know what happened. That person may have lost their relatives in a fire when they were a child. They have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, but you get the sense that Braid himself was perhaps had his career lasted longer on a path towards thinking of the therapies he was researching as having a very close connection with placebo and the placebo effect, which, after all, is well and truly acknowledged by medical professionals as having potential positive impacts. But Braid, during his life, was at least methodical enough to subject his own theory to true practice. Yeah, and I mean, hypnotism has obviously had its detractors ever since Franz Mesmer was around, but one of the first ones to target James Braid was targeting him not because he thought that mesmerism was fake, but because he thought it was maybe too powerful. This firebrand preacher called Hugh McNeil, who was well known for being very vocal about things he disliked to an extent that was a little bit deranged. So in Liverpool in 1842, he delivered a 90-minute sermon aimed at mesmerism in general and Braid in particular as being instruments of, quote, satanic agency. And it was so vitriolic and so weird that it ended up being widely reported in the press. And Braid attempted to resolve this privately. He sent a long letter to McNeil, offered him a free ticket to his next lecture. McNeil not only ignored him, but had his sermon published. So in response, Braid had to publish his own pamphlet, which he called Satanic Agency and Mesmerism Reviewed, which, funnily enough, you know, counter to what the Reverend was hoping, actually helped to further popularise his modern version of mesmerism that would become hypnotism. If I was braid, I would have just made that guy bark like a dog. Take that, dude. (laughs) Now, this episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. Patreon.com slash <laughs> Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.